Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Katie Quigg, Paul Romalo, Jared Kernop, Raging Demon, Masked Llama, and Ozzy Garcia. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 92 of Retro Hangover. Hello, retro and classic gamers. Welcome to the podcast where we are quickening quacks quietly, quaffing quails quickly. This is episode 92 of Retro Hangover. I am your co-host, Chris Copeline, with, as always, your host, Shane. Extra Dimensional Dick Dragon Koski! So I'm curious, how does one quaff a quail? You, you don't know? I, I, I mean, if I didn't know, I wouldn't be asking. Is this like a three shells kind of scenario? I think if you go to YouTube, you can find a video about it. I think it's been copyright claimed, though. Oh, okay. That's that's good to know. All videos of of quails being quaffed have been removed. (laughs) Summarily DMCA'd. Got it. Okay. It happened during the 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 big quayopolix (laughs) quayopolips. I don't know. It's hard to say apocalypse, but I can't do it with a quail. The the qu- the quapocalypse, yes. Quapocalypse. There, there, there you it go. Is. The quapocalypse. We did it. All right. Damn YouTube and your corporate greed and anti-quail legislation. <laughs> anti-quail agenda. <laughs> uh, but coincidentally, this episode is not about quails. It's about Quake. But before we talk about that, uh, let's talk a little bit about what we've been up to. So, so Chris, mm. what's been going on? It feels like it was just yesterday when I when I talked about. You know what I've been playing, so I, I I'm still playing the Shining Force three scenario two, mm. but I'll move on. I'll talk about a game called Devotion, which I think might be John Cena's favorite video game. <laughs> it's very topical of you. I, I mean, yes, very topical. Probably dates it <laughs> quite a bit. But for those who don't know, Devotion is a game that I think came out in 2019, maybe late 2018. I'm not sure exactly when it came out. But it got pulled from Steam because in one of the hallways of the game, it's like a walking simulator horror game, mm-hmm. which is really cool. It's it has its issues. There are some things that kind of take you out of the experience. But for the most part, it's a genuinely creepy and well-designed game. But one part of the game, you're you're walking down a hallway and if like you're me and you can't read Chinese uh, or Mandarin or you know, whatever they call it over there, uh, kanji, Chinese kanji. You're not going to think anything of it, 
But apparently on this scroll, it says uh, it says a curse scroll on. It says Ki, uh, Xi Jinping, Winnie the Pooh and Moron. And this is no surprise because it was made in Taiwan. So China mm. got upset and it got taken off steam. And I think earlier this year or late last year, good old games also took it down from its servers. So you can't buy it on any mainstream, you know, essentially gaming site. So you have to buy it. If you want to play this game officially, you have to buy it from their site. So I did play it. Like I said, it's 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 a good mood setting game. I actually played it with uh, Llama and Katie, our, our patrons. They came by and watched me stream it through the discord and we all had a really good time. Uh, and, and I'm happy to support a developer that seemingly got shut out for stupid political reasons. I'm all I'm all about it because the game is good. There's far worse games on Steam. And I mean, that's that's really saying a lot anyway, because Steam is a dumpster fire for the most part at the bottom rungs. But this is this is a game that I would recommend regardless that you go out and play. It's it's, it's a nice walking simulator. It's really kind of turned my head to it because the only one I've played prior to that is Dear Esther. Mm-hmm. And I don't really consider the Stanley Parable to be a walking simulator, but I do love that game, too. But it's 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 a good experience. Nice. I think people should try it out. Yeah, I mean, walking simulators kind of have their place. I have to be in the right headspace for that, I think. But I actually, somebody might have been Randall. Somebody brought it up in our Discord that What Remains of Edith Finch is also a good one. I played that one. That's a that's a pretty solid entry in the the walking simulator pseudo mystery spoopy kind of thing category. So I, I would also second that as an option. Yeah, that's uh, Llama brought that up. He also brought it up at the end of the gameplay. Yeah. Oh, that's who it was. Okay, yeah. So that's all I've been doing. How about you there, Shane? Well, I think, and I I don't believe I brought this up in previous episodes. So if I did, I'm just repeating myself. But I think I had skipped talking about it. But it's less about what I have been playing and more about what I have not been playing. Mm. Specifically, Genshin Impact. Yeah, you have not been talking about that recently. I noticed there has been just a dearth of Genshin Impact anime titty information. That is true. That is true. I have uh, I have finally decided that the time had come to to retire my my career in the arguably one of the better waifu simulators out there. And uh, not that it's a bad game by any stretch. It's actually incredibly well done, especially for something that you know has the entry price of free. It's a fantastic game. It's just what ended up getting me in the end was basically what I thought it was going to be, which was the never ending march of daily quest requirements and time limited events that I just don't have the time to keep up with. And that constant sense of FOMO that it likes to, you know, exploit um, as most free to play games like that tend to do or just games as a service in general, really. It was it was just too much. Like, it got to the point where I only had so much time in a given day to play video games that I would only be able to get the dailies done in the game and never really make any meaningful progress in the actual story of the game, which is honestly really why I was there. I mean, apart from the combat, the combat is fucking phenomenal in that game with the team member switching and the synergies between them and everything. It's great. But really I wanted to see the plot progress and I could never really get that because I could only get, 
you know, grindy shit done uh, in the amount of time that I had available to me to play. So it just got to a point where I was like, you know, I don't know if I'm enjoying this much anymore. Um, and so I, I decided to step away from it. Um, I think it's a it's a fantastic game. And if you have the time to put into it, it is absolutely worthwhile. But for me, when I've got so many other things to do and so many other games to play, it's just it was just a time sink, really. That's the big news for me as far as what I've been doing in, in the gaming sphere right now. I'm uh, I'm still trying to finish up Breath of the Wild. I did actually knock out all but the very last level of Captain Toad, which, by the way, the last level is fucking insane and requires you to collect 5,000 coins while being constantly chased by a mummy toad and also getting assaulted by a bunch of other garbage. And it fucking sucks. So I don't know if I'm going to finish that. But yeah, at least I made a little bit more progress into it. That's kind of it for me right now. Uh, two things. The first thing is that a mummy toad chasing Captain Toad sounds adorable. It is. It is. I'm not going to lie. The second thing, I'm really sad that you had to tell those anime titties to bounce. Oh, you don't have to tell them to bounce. They just do that. But I get your point. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, terrible puns. No, it's fine. I, I bid my I, I bid my adieu to uh, to best waifu uh, Ning Wong, a.k.a. the, the Geo mommy. So I've made my peace with it. It's fine. Mm. Just clean up your controller afterwards, please. <clears throat> I, I, well, mm. you know. Yeah, that's just that's part of the deal. Yeah, uh, I understand. Baby wipes on standby. Yes. Speaking of baby wipes, we have a what? game to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah. I don't. I don't know how to transition from baby wipes to hellish scape medieval video game thing. So yeah, today's game is Quake, as you may have seen before you opened up this episode. So we're playing Quake. You know what? You've probably noticed we're, we're trying to be more topical lately with the games we choose because it is Quake's 25th anniversary this year. It, it turns 25 years old. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's just uh, time's really time's really going by. And it feels like I, I know it's not, but it feels like it's older than one of our major patrons. So <laughs> uh, it's, it's it's creeping up on there. That's true. Yes, it's right there. Wow. Uh, but it, I don't feel like I'm the best person to talk about the brief history on this game. We do have someone, a host of this podcast that just absolutely adores it or at least played it a lot as a young one. So I think that uh, Shane. Yes. You should be the one to give us our brief history on Quake. How do you follow up one of the greatest, most foundational first-person shooters of all time? This was the daunting task set before John Carmack, John Romero, and the rest of the crew at id Software. Time is ever moving forward, and with it, so goes technology. So one might imagine the level of anticipation and perhaps even expectation that many gamers would have regarding id's next project. The industry was rapidly transitioning to fully 3D environments, and id knew they would have to keep pace if they were to satisfy the fans. Sometime in late 1994, id Software would begin working on a project they would eventually call Quake, 
a name carried over from an obscure, abandoned title that was meant to be a sequel to the sprite-based side-scroller Commander Keen. Lead designer John Romero wanted Quake to be more than just a first-person shooter. He envisioned an experience heavily inspired by Sega's new, at the time, Virtua Fighter. Romero was so enamored with the polygonal fighter that he expressed interest in incorporating similar fight sequences into the project, but that idea was quickly shot down, no pun intended, by the other members at id. At one point, early in the game's life cycle, devs even considered the inclusion of RPG-style elements. As is the fate of most grand visions, however, none of this would make it into the final product. This streamlining of wishlist features was largely due to the project slowly sinking into development hell as a result. As such, the team would instead refocus on making Quake much more like Doom a fast-paced, high-action, first-person shooter. But this time, it would be in a fully 3D environment with another huge addition, online multiplayer. On June 22, 1996, Quake would see release in North America. Unfortunately for id and their publisher GT Interactive, the shareware version of the game, which could unlock the full experience with a password obtained over the phone, was easily hackable, causing sales of the game to fall well short of expectations. This also caused it to cease the sale of all shareware copies, leaving over 150,000 units to languish in a warehouse. Despite this disappointing oversight, Quake still managed to sell nearly 600,000 retail copies. Contrary to the game's rough commercial debut, Quake received exceedingly high marks from nearly all gaming outlets, touting an aggregate Metacritic score of 94. Most reviewers praised its varied multiplayer modes, making particular note of the ability to have eight players simultaneously in a single deathmatch, twice as many as offered by Doom 2. Quake would also receive a port to the Sega Saturn in 1997 and the N64 in 1998, though these releases were not nearly as well received. Largely due to the omission of the multiplayer modes so lauded by critics and players alike. Some journalists went so far as to claim that, without the ability to frag other players online, Quake's single-player campaign was simply not robust enough to support the experience on its own. Quake would go on to become a staple franchise in and of itself, going so far as replacing its predecessor as the primary IP for id's shooters for quite some time. Along with Unreal, Quake would lay the groundwork for massive online competitions, competitive gaming in general, and esports as we know it today. While the commercial and critical reception may not indicate it, Quake's legacy has had a lasting impact on the gaming industry since its release 25 years ago. And that is your brief history of Quake. All right, Shane, I am just quaking with anticipation. My loins are quivering and quaking for this podcast. I figured we couldn't make it through this episode with at least one quaking pun. So, so thank it's, you. It has to happen. I, I'm surprised I didn't put it into the damn preamble, but that's true. 
It is what it is. All right. So I guess I'll, I'll go into personal experiences here because I think you're going to kind of go on with it. And you just did the brief <laughs> history. Do you, I say you mean like I'm just going to be talking for 80 percent of the rest of this episode? What? <laughs> That's crazy. It's going to be World of Warcraft all over again. I know. Right. This time, though, I don't have Dustin to like balance me out. <laughs> exactly. Oh, uh, so what, where was I in 1986 in terms of Quake? I wasn't there. 1986, I, you say. 19, uh, absolutely nowhere, 1986. But 1996, <laughs> I wasn't there either. Oh, okay. I think I heard of it. I mean, I think in, I was still playing Doom in 97, 98. I wasn't playing Quake. Mm-hmm. When I went over to my friend's house to play, you know, first person shooter, it was Doom. We were still talking about Doom. We weren't talking about Quake. Sure. I, I don't know why that was. It was just that Doom was still a hotness. And I, just think Doom's prevailing legacy kept it relevant a lot longer than you would think it did just because of how good of a game Doom was. I, I think I really started to hurt here of Quake when Quake 64 came out just because, you know, the N64 was the hot thing for console players. I was a console player. They're like, oh, here's Quake. Like, what the fuck is Quake? Oh, it's a PC shooter. Oh, OK. And then I'd hear more about it later when like Quake 3 Arena would come to the Dreamcast and a lot of people were hyped to play the online experience, you know, the PvP, mostly because the Dreamcast also came with a modem. So a lot of people were excited about it. I wasn't one of those people. Uh, I wasn't really playing first person shooters at all. And I had never played Quake at all until we needed to record this episode. But I did find some interesting things along the way, but that's the extent of my own personal experience. So with that out of the way, Shane, I'll just go make myself a drink and I'll come back in about 20 minutes uh, after you give your personal experience. <laughs> Actually, I, I promise it's not going to be that long. No, my 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 rant is going to come when we start really digging into the, the the finer points of the game. But no, um, my personal experience actually was somewhat similar to yours, uh, perhaps surprisingly. Hmm. I did not play Quake like right when it came out or or anything like that. I too was actually still very enamored with Doom and Doom 2 and you know all of the master levels and all the extra bonus shit. So I was still very steeped in Doom at that time and so I didn't really get around to playing Quake until at least a few years after it had already come out. I I almost want to say I remember that I did play the shareware version that they mentioned, although I was not uh, I was not in the know enough at that time to know how to <laughs> hack around that and get the whole game for free. So I, I definitely did play just the first episode and then it was like, you should go buy the game. And I was like, uh, no, I do not think I will do that, <laughs> at least not initially. <laughs> but I did get around to it eventually. And I, I want to say I probably picked it up when it was like kind of on sale at one of the local stores or something like that. So it was a couple years after it had come out, but then for a while, much in the same way that it kind of happened for id software themselves, quake kind of took over my, my PC FPS uh, experience from doom for not, not like a huge amount of time, but there, there was definitely a period there where I was just like, doom, what's that? And, you know, played quake quite a bit that also kind of bled into playing quake two over to friend's house later and, you know, multiplayer and all that stuff. But that, that's a story for a different day, but that's uh that's kind of how I came around to it. Interesting. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know anyone who was playing Quake in 1996. And I, that's kind of why I was kind of surprised you put this game on our schedule, because I just didn't really know anyone who had really much of an, uh, an affinity with Quake. And I do think that was because Doom was so pervasive or just it was I won't say pervasive because pervasive is more of a negative word, but it was just it was just so there. It was so much part of the PC gaming uh, sphere, even if console gamers were going to hop on and they were going to play a first person shooter. And I I think that was the big deal about it. I mean, you look at the sales number for a major game for for a game that's had the legacy quake had i'm i'm pretty shocked you know go to the brief history that retail wise it only sold about 600,000 copies yeah i think that's that was the total of as of 1999 so there was some time for that game to have a tail and and to get more people to buy into it and usually games of this caliber games that people are this familiar with uh over time and as you know fundamental as it was to the online gaming you know development that 600,000 copies is way lower than I was. I would ever even think that this that this game would sell. I would think this would be somewhere in the one or two million range at the very least. Yeah, and, and that's a fair point. I think I think Quake had a lot of things going against it at that time. Um, one being that massive oversight in the shareware version, um, which is honestly probably one of the big reasons uh apart from you know technological advancement and what have you is why shareware stuff kind of fell out of fashion because putting the full game on a disc and then just locking it behind some arbitrary thing was generally not a good idea because people you know where there's a will there is a way and so uh, <laughs> that that kind of happened so i think that hampered it quite a bit the other part of it and of course this is me just kind of you know conjecturing of course but if i had to put a pin on something the fact that technology was moving at such a rapid pace at that time is not an understatement and though quake was at the sort of forefront of 3d gaming at that time honestly a that's kind of almost a detriment to it because people had computers that could run doom but probably couldn't run quake particularly well and so that was also an issue. And then because things move so quickly, you got to figure only a couple of years after Quake came out, you had shit like Half-Life, which let's be real as an overall package, Half-Life blows this out of the fucking water. It curb stomps it. It really does. And so you have a very small window of time where this was like the hot thing. So honestly, with all of those things combined, I'm actually not super surprised that the numbers are as low as they are. Yeah, I think I heard a, I was watching a video by Lazy Game Reviewer, LGR, and he said essentially that when this game was released, it was the crisis of its time mm -hmm. in 96. Mm -hmm. So when you think about that, by the time you get to 99, you get to Half-Life and we'll get into this later. But Quake really its single player mode is it's Doom just in 3D. And by the time I think most players could play it on their PC without frying it, Half-Life came out. And I don't think Half-Life was as demanding on hardware that Quake was. Essentially, they were kind of in the same realm, if I'm remembering correctly. Like You didn't need a top-of-the-line computer to play Half-Life, but you did need it to play Quake. So by the time most people could play Quake, you could also play Half-Life. And what game are you going to play, ideally? Right. Probably Half-Life. It's the better game. 
unless you're there for the multiplayer experience. Then it's a completely different issue. But by that time, you also had Unreal. Yep. And Unreal Tournament. And yeah. So, yeah, there were a lot of things that very quickly superseded anything that Quake had done. And so that's why I think it kind of got overshadowed fairly quickly. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I, I thought you had been there on the ground floor. No, no. Moving forward, let's talk about something that I, I didn't even notice that this <laughs> game had. And that yeah. is the, the, the game's plot and writing, which, sure. you know, you know, I, I think I I think I kind of guessed this right, where fans know what it is. You know, hardcore fans know what it is. But if you don't read the manual, it you're not you're just shooting and killing monsters. They're like, here's some monsters to shoot. Go shoot them. Here's a gun. Here's a rocket launcher. Go kill ugly things and have fun. But apparently Shane will will tell us that this game does have a plot and you should care. OK, I'll tell you that it has a plot. I'm not going to tell you you should care <laughs> for okay. the record. Fair. I mean, all right, let's be real. It's the same sort of thing that we talked about when we did our Doom episode. I fucking love Doom and everybody knows that, but the story is not why you're there. The story is a loose construct for you to have a justification for killing a bunch of shit. That's really all it is. And that's all it is here. And but the difference, I think, with this is that it's actually a little tragic that that is what this game has for a story. And and I'll tell you why, because if you were listening to our brief history just a few moments ago, you probably caught that there were some real grand ambitions for what John Romero wanted this game to be. He wanted it to be a much more, a much larger game in scope. He wanted it to be something that would incorporate a lot of new elements, some RPG stuff, some fighting game elements, just some real different shit. And he wanted it to be a little bit more of a slower paced, almost role-playing kind of experience. And they ended up not being able to do any of that. And so when they pared all of that down, what they ended up with was kind of what Chris said. It's Doom, but it's in 3D. And so the canonical story that you get, which is, by the way, purely in the manual that you get with the game, it's basically just Doom, but reskinned, where you are, yet again, an unnamed protagonist who is simply called Ranger uh, in later games, by the way. He doesn't even have a name in the first Quake. Um, and you are sent into a portal to stop an enemy that was codenamed Quake by the government from basically killing everybody and taking over Earth. And so the government had been experimenting with teleportation technology and developed a prototype that they dubbed the Slipgate. And then this mysterious Quake being compromised their Slipgate by connecting its own teleportation system and sending death squads to our dimension to see if we were like worthy foes, basically. The government then mounted a thing called Operation Counter-Strike to try to strike back at Quake. Interesting name. Yeah, right. And you, of course, are the only survivor and therefore the, the ultimate power fantasy badass guy. And so you have to go through the slipgate and go into each of the dimensions and collect these arbitrary MacGuffin runes to unlock the layer of Shubnigarath, which is actually the the like final boss of the game that is quake for all intents and purposes, but that's, it's true, like a demonic name, if you will, which by the way, technically they're not even really demons. They're just creatures from a different dimension, but 
But if this all sounds familiar to you, that's because that's basically the fucking story of Doom, where you are a space marine and people are messing with teleportation technology on the moons of Mars, and we somehow connect up to hell, and you have to go in and fuck shit up. It's literally the same story. But again, you wouldn't even know any of that unless you had the manual, because this is very lightly alluded to in the game, mostly just by some environmental cues and then the descriptions of the different episodic areas as you kind of like walk into them. And that's kind of really it. I'm actually really surprised they just didn't call this game Doom 3. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and and that's this is going to be a common thread through the rest of our discussion about this game is that it is. It is a game of a lot of missed opportunities and a lot of compromises that I don't think the team wanted to make. Right. I just, you know, you, you consider the plot. It just seems like they made a plot that they did in order to just say it's not doom. Mm-hmm. So they're like, yeah, it's not on Mars. It's in like medieval castles and they're not demons. They're C- Cthulhu monsters. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, OK, um, you have satanic imagery all over this thing. It's fucking doom. <laughs> just fu- just call it Doom three. Yeah. Which also just doesn't make any sense, right? That you would have human centric satanic imagery like pentagrams and stuff like that in a dimension, you know, where, uh, you know, otherworldly beings live and probably have no notion of of that shit at all. Like it just it's nonsensical. I mean, Event Horizon. Well, yeah, but Event Horizon, I don't think, had actual imagery like that. It was just a bunch of, like, carved up flesh and weird shit. It was. I can't remember. Yeah. Oh, well. So the plot is it's Doom 3, but we don't want to make Doom 3 yet because Doom 2 is selling like hotcakes. So let's make something else. I think that's pretty much the plot. That's the story. <laughs> more more or less, yes. Okay, let's get into the meat potatoes here for this game. That is the gameplay. Which I actually I really enjoyed the gameplay in this for the most part. I I have my issues with it, but you're much more familiar with it, Shane. So uh, go ahead and kick us off again with this. Okay. All right. Well, so again, much like the rest of it, it is very similar to Doom, but it's it's in full 3D. You you get the frenetic gameplay that you would expect from the developers of Doom, um, where really just toggling the always run option is pretty much mandatory because if you're not doing that then what the fuck are you even doing really right and you know it's it's generally the same deal right you find color-coded keys to open specific doors sometimes you press buttons or pressure plates to do that or activate platforms there's a bunch of like hidden things there's secret areas power-ups a lot of that stuff to find And you'll you'll see a summary at the end screen of every level once you finish it of how many of the total monsters you killed and how many secrets you found. So if you're really that kind of completionist, then at least, you know, you can go back and try to find those things. I generally don't care too much about that. Um, I like just getting through the level. So some interesting things about the gameplay, though, is because this game exists in a true three dimensional space, unlike its predecessors your approach to combat ends up being somewhat different. And actually this is something I think you pointed out in your experience too, Uh where projectiles are not just hit scans, right? And for those of you who are not familiar, a hit scan weapon in a video game basically means you press the shoot button and wherever your gun is pointing on the screen, that thing will get hit immediately. 
that's pretty much how all of the weapons in doom work. Yeah. And that is not how they work here. Uh, with the exception of probably the shotgun, that's pretty much a hit scan, but everything else has actual objects. Their projectiles are actual 3d models. And so because of that, um, you really do need to time your shots and aim accordingly, which is a very different approach. And it takes a little bit of adjustment to really kind of nail that down. But when you do, that is how you get good at hitting shit with rockets, which is probably one of the more fun things to do. Oh, hitting shit with rockets is great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so because, though, everything is an actual object that exists within a 3D space, the encounters, at least for me, I felt like they were trickier than a lot of things that you run into in Doom. So a great example of this are the ogres, which if you don't know the actual names of the creatures, because why would you? That shit's only in the manual. Um, They're the ones that you see pretty early on that have a chainsaw and also a grenade launcher. It's an interesting design choice, which I'll get into in a little bit. So though you encounter them very early in the game, those guys are actually always very fucking dangerous. And that's because they are able to bounce grenades around corners with like a scary amount of precision and just blow your ass up. Now, the bonus, of course, is that once you get used to it, you can do the same thing. So there is that. And it does put a very different sort of spin on how you approach kind of the the first person combat in that way. Now, talking about explosives and the and the grenades, a small but kind of nice touch is that these zombies that are in the game can't actually be killed by any of your, you know, more traditional bullet weapons, your shotgun, your nail gun, like none of that shit's going to do anything to them. It'll knock them down, but then they'll just keep getting back up and throwing bloody chunks of themselves at you. Why are there zombies? Because zombies are cool, dark fucking things, man. Obviously, it, it makes no sense. It doesn't make any sense. And I'm going to get to that. <laughs> Why that doesn't <laughs> make fuck? any sense. But the, the nice touch that I'm talking about is they can't be killed by anything except explosives, which technically, even in the manual, they don't really tell you straight out. They do kind of hint to it in that, like, say, they say something to the effect of, like, the only way to dispatch them is by, like, jibbing them or whatever, which you then fairly quickly find out means you have to kill them with either the grenade launcher or the rocket launcher, one of the two. Right. But that's just an interesting like kind of touch that didn't really exist, right? In the previous games, like in Doom, you didn't really have specific things you necessarily needed to do for most of the enemies like that. And speaking of specific things, one of the things I think I appreciate the most about the gameplay of Quake is sort of the subversion of your expectations for boss encounters. So if you take Shathan, the first boss, for example, up until that point in the first episode of the game, you really, as a player, are expecting nothing other than like pull trigger, ask questions later. That's, you know, that's how Doom was. That's how this is up until that. But this boss, you find out pretty fucking quickly, is completely invulnerable to all of your bullshit. And so the only way to actually take him down is by hitting a set of pressure plates in the correct order to kind of descend these two Tesla coils on either side of him and then zap him with electricity. And you have to do that a couple of times and then that'll take him out. That doesn't really seem particularly special now, you know, in hindsight. But back then, it was actually a pretty interesting twist. And for the record, I hear people typing already, yes, I know about the icon of sin in Doom 2. 
and the fact that you could only kill it by shooting it through that small space in its brain. So yes, it's kind of been done before, but this was a little bit of a fresh take on a boss fight. Whereas generally it's always just, oh, this is a much bigger thing and takes way more rockets to kill this. You at least had to think a little bit about how you needed to approach it. So I'll echo kind of a lot of the points that you kind of made just from my kind of my own perspective here is going back to the hit scan. Yeah. So the, the thing I look at this game is it feels like the game that comes right out right after Doom. It feels like the natural evolution of it. Mm-hmm. And you don't I think the crosshair is something you have to select in the options menu because you don't have a crosshair on your weapons and the way that right. the weapons oriented, it looks just like Doom, the, the weapons right in front of you. So I went into this game thinking that it's going to be the same kind of thing. You point the weapon in the general direction of an enemy and you're going to hit them. But this is a game in a fully 3D environment. And as you said, there are fully 3D objects. So, haha, uh, no, that's not what's going to happen. And it takes some time to get used to. But in that sense, it made me feel like I was playing a game from 1996. It made me mm-hmm. feel like I was playing a game that was in transition between two different styles, kind of trapped in between there, where it's it's still taking a lot from Doom and the lineage is obvious and as it should, but it's not quite in the same area that you get with later shooters. Right. So like, yeah, so nowadays, like you have pinpoint accuracy through your, you know, your mouse and keyboard WASD, which is the same thing you have with Quake. But at the, uh, Quake is expecting more of the traditional kind of Doom style, which was perfected in more recent stuff like the, the 2016 Doom and probably by Quake 2, Quake 3. I haven't played it or especially Unreal Tournament uh, Counter-Strike. You had really started to get the idea of really frenetic gameplay with controlling it in such a way that you do in the more modern shooters. Mm-hmm. This still feels trapped in between the two styles. And it, it kind of makes it a pain to adjust to. Now, I'm sure that once you get used to it and you 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 really get into the, the mechanics of the game itself, it becomes secondary. But it does. That being said, it does take some time getting used to and going back to that kind of style. I don't understand zombies, but you said you talk. That doesn't make any sense. I do like <laughs> the fact that they they throw ogres at you fairly early because this game right off the bat says, hey, we're not fucking around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's something I can appreciate. I, I actually think a lot of games and doom did this they kind of hold your hand for a little too long before like really ramping up the difficulty mm-hmm. quake just says fuck you we're going to this game's going to be hard yep <laughs> and yep. you're going to have to fucking deal with it i can appreciate that i can respect that uh but even on easy mode it's a it's a pain in the ass if you're not used to these kind of shooters it's it's definitely not going to it's not going to help you out so don't go into this game thinking oh i've never played a first person shooter before this is the game for me probably not uh <laughs> no unless you like being punished that could be a way you can do that uh one of the things i noticed too and shane said he would correct me on this that i am wrong but allegedly you can save whenever you want to and that's <laughs> important because whenever you die no matter how far you are into the level the entire level resets and that can get irritating but apparently i can save whenever i want to yeah so what am i doing wrong so so you can but for the sake of full transparency, I also going back to playing this game this week prior to this episode, I had forgotten about this. And so I too was just like, why the fuck can't I save? And so there were a couple of times where I had to restart a level all over again. Also, 
And then I discovered that there is a save option in the menus, but it's kind of buried in a weird spot. So you have to bring up the main menu and you have to select single player as if you were going to start a new game, which makes no sense. And then once you select single player, you have the options for uh, new save and load. And so at that point, you can hit save and then you've got several different save slots that you can save your game to. And you can do that at any time. It's just that it's like not intuitive to find at all. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not great. So now that I know that I could play it differently. Yeah. But if I didn't know that, I I would probably get extremely well, I did get extremely frustrated. Yeah. And I did not want to play anymore. I mean, that's that that is fair. Like actually last night before I realized that that's what I could do, I got like about three quarters of the way through a pretty difficult level and then got fucking murked by a undead knight. And I was just like, well, fuck this and <laughs> went and did something else because I was like, I do not want to play this level all over again. So I, I get it. Now, one thing I do have to say, I was able to play the Saturn version for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, the PlayStation didn't get a port of this. Just the Saturn did. Uh, well, the N64 did, too. So I don't want to say just the Saturn. But holy shit, is the Saturn version an absolute gem. It was developed by a company called Lobotomy Entertainment. I think that it was called their Slave Engine because they also did the port of Power Slave and Duke Nukem 3D, which are also fantastic ports mm. on the Sega Saturn. And playing that with a 3D pad. So most people, if uh, uh, if you think of the Saturn, you think of the 2D Sega Genesis looking controller. But they also had a controller that they called the 3D pad, which looks like a like prototype for the Dreamcast controller. Mm-hmm. And it has like this nub, this analog nub where the analog stick would be for the Dreamcast controller. And both your shoulder pads are analog pressured. So maybe it's probably not the best game to use it with for Quake because you're always supposed to be running around like a maniac while you're shooting shit. <laughs> But the thing that's nice is that your your movement varies depending on how far you're pushing your analog nub. So you're pushing it all the way forward. You're running. If you're pushing it slightly forward, you're walking. If you want to strafe with the R and L buttons, you can control how fast you're strafing by how much you're pulling down on those buttons, which I know that sounds like who the fuck cares in 2021. But in 1996, I think 97 for the Saturn. You didn't have fucking analog controls on anything other than maybe the N64's analog controller. So just knowing knowing that and playing it like that was really cool. It's the smooth frame rate is really smooth. Uh, just the biggest problem is in order to look up and down to adjust the way you view is you have to hold a button to, to do the uh, vertical axes. And this is a uh. game that requires you to do that. So that was kind of a pain in the ass and makes it difficult to play. But other than that, the Saturn port, holy shit, man, I was not expecting it to be that good. Well, so in the sake of fairness, actually, I I didn't put this in the notes here. That's actually not a problem unique to the console ports. So the original version of Quake, though, it does really require you to think in, in a 3D space because it fucking is one. You can't aim on the vertical axis without clicking down and holding the mouse wheel. That's horrible. Which fucking sucks. What the fuck? Yeah, it's it's bad. Now, I I looked through the options in in the game and I could not find a place to just turn mouse looking on all the time, uh just in stock quake. So, I could be wrong about this because it's been a hot minute since I played it back in the day, 
but looking at a stock version of Quake now, I could not find that option. So yeah, you need to click the mouse wheel to be able to look up and down, which is awful. Holy shit. Okay, yeah. that that sounds just awful. By the way, the, the, way we're, the way I'm saying this is because I played this game with a mod to make it play better on a modern computer. So yeah. um, I didn't play the original release of Quake. I don't mean Shane, you didn't either, but you do know about these things, knowing that you grew up with the game like that. Right. Wow. That completely, totally fucking blows. Did this game come out too? Like instead of WASD, was it still using the arrow keys? Oh, that's a tough one. I think, I think WASD was standard already at that point. I think that was the default. I could be totally misremembering that, but I believe it was. There is a chance that it could have still been using arrow keys and like control to shoot, but I don't think that was the case. Huh. It's right around that time period things started changing over. Yeah. If you have to hold down the mouse wheel in order to look around, that wouldn't surprise me. Or it could have been like eight, four, six, two and like seven and nine. Because I remember some of the some games were like that, too, where it was by the numpad. I don't know. Yeah. But but that would explain it. Yeah, that might be might be one explanation for it. Yeah. But and yeah, I I also well, the reason Chris played this with a mod is because I walked him through how to install the mod because I was like, don't fucking play it without this. But well, I'll I'll talk about that towards (laughs) the end. But yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was uh, I'm glad you did that because I don't I think I would have treated this like Superman 64 had you not. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's overly harsh, man. This game doesn't deserve that. <laughs> maybe maybe not in 1996 it didn't but you know yeah mm-hmm. spe- speaking about things that we might be a little overly harsh with what do you think this game looks like unless you have anything else to say about the gameplay here uh no no that was it we can we can okay. roll right into graphics are you ready for me to go on another like 15 20 minute diatribe yeah let me start this one then yeah go why don't you go ahead <laughs> this game is just it it feels like it was made in the in the early noughties, early 2010s, just because it is so brown. It's very <laughs> brown. You go from level to level and it's it, it, doom kind of did it too. But, you know, I can I can forgive doom and I can forgive Wolfenstein because, you know, they were just kind of this. It was a new genre of gaming in a sense. But by this point, it's a fully 3D arena. It's like, holy fuck, guys, I I want something more than brown. There are other colors that you could I mean the, the monsters bleed blood. You know what red is. You know what green <laughs> is. These are other colors in the color wheel. You things contrast. Things can pop. Things can look interesting. Even the monsters are brown. Everything is brown. I mean, I can tell the monsters and creatures from the background. Good. That's fine. But still, it's all it's, it's a sea of brown. It's so boring. I know I've heard people say it, it looks good if you up the resolution or it looked great at the time. I'm sure it did. I'm sure the fidelity of it is fine, but it's boring. It's it's incredibly boring. It's like fr- you hear the frustration in my voice. It is frustratingly boring. I, I wanted something more. I <sighs> again, if this came out in like 1996 on your CRT PC monitor, which the resolution on those were always a little bit higher anyway. This probably would have been a sight to behold and not everything was brown at the time. So things being dark and edgy and emo that was in like you still had, for the most part, happy, bubbly Japanese games that permeated the gaming atmosphere. But this and so having a game like this was a little bit different. But now that we went through the 
PS3, Xbox 360 era. I hate it. How about you, Shane? Yeah. No, that's fair. I mean, that's also kind of the same issue that Unreal suffered from as well. It was just a shitload of earth tones and nothing else, even though it was on like an alien planet, which also made no fucking sense. But right. So, all right, let me let me crack my fingers and settle in for this one. So outside of the plot stuff or whatever, I think this is the thing I have the most to talk about here. All right. So while I like the idea of what the team was going for here, the sort of like medieval arcane magic, ancient evil sort of vibe, I have some issues. First and foremost, I 100 percent agree with Chris that everything is just so aggressively fucking dull there's just nothing but a sea of gray and brown everywhere and like i get it man you know you wanted to have this like ominous edgy vibe where everything's dark and gritty i mean even the font is rust colored for fuck's sake so like i i I get it and they were trying to stick with this like medieval sort of motif but they they really could have done so much more here like the few elements of color that this game actually does have do really stand out, probably in contrast to the rest of the drab palette that they decided to go with, particularly like the stained glass windows that are sort of a common element in a lot of the levels. Like I do like those and they are great pops of color. I just wish that there was more. And Chris makes an excellent point that like even the monsters are just varying shades of gray or brown for the most part so everything feels real muddy and it's almost hard to discern one thing from another and yes playing it with a mod on a modern pc and uprising the graphics definitely helps but that does not change the color choices that they went with and they're still pretty fucking boring now this this is the biggest thing that i want to talk about here and that is that the game feels incredibly repetitive and like strangely disjointed. And I feel that that is largely due to a serious misuse of the graphical assets that they had on hand. So let me explain what I mean by that. So though doom did reuse a lot of its textures throughout the course of the game, I believe that it did a pretty fantastic job of making each episode of doom very identifiable by using certain assets only in those areas. So for example, you very clearly move from a derelict space installation to literal hell, and you know this just by the visuals alone, right? In Quake, they claim that each episode is a different, very distinct dimension, but the problem is there's just so much cross-use of textures and enemy models that it just ends up feeling like the same area for like 26 fucking levels. So a perfect example of this, right? Episode two is titled the realm of black magic. And when you are in sort of the hub area to choose which episode you want to go to next, a little like description text box will pop up when you walk into one of them to tell you where you're going. And for this one, the, the description kind of tells you a little bit of a story about like, oh, this is a place with ancient sorcerers and medieval castles. And you're like, all right, fucking cool. That's badass. The problem is you already saw this shit. You saw stone castle textures and even some of the undead night enemies in the previous episode. 
which made no sense for it to be there. So the whole identity of the area just gets completely diluted and the impact and the memorability of it is just totally lost. And so further, the first area of episode two that you're dropped into literally has wall textures that look like it's made from rivets and sheet metal, like it belongs in a military installation or a space station. Why the fuck is that there? It makes no sense. Okay. Taking a breath for a second. So here is some, I think there's some you can forgive a lot of it, but you said, here's some insight. So I think you're about to get to that point. Uh, Yeah. So here's some interesting insight on the above points that I just made. So there was an interview with John Willits. He was one of the original team members over at id software where he just very candidly says they had no actual creative direction when making quake whatsoever. Not surprising. Yeah. Right. All they knew was that they wanted to make some like dark Lovecraftian inspired shit with a lot of cool guns. That was literally the extent of their like design document. So they had four principal level designers working on the team, each with their very own distinct sort of style. And so hence, this is how we ended up with four episodes in the game because they each worked on one of those areas. And consequently, this is also why none of them have any real cohesion whatsoever. And so this was very enlightening for me to kind of stumble across because watching this interview, I was like, oh yeah, No, this actually makes perfect sense then, because like I said, though I like Quake, there's no through line as far as a story or a sense of progression or a creative direction whatsoever. It's just like they had a bunch of neat things that they made and they threw them together because that is quite literally what they did. Well, that's that's something you actually do see in the reviews, as we as we pointed out, a lot of the reviewers said the the first the single player mode was relatively shit Mm -hmm. and that the reason you play quake is for its multiplayer abilities. Take it online, take it to the land party, go and kill your friends. It's not play the single player mode, right? I was going to more come to it uh, on a angle of a little bit more understanding forgiveness because John Carmack had to build the entire engine up from the ground from scratch. True. And this is in 96. So 3d gaming was still, I won't say it's new, new, because what Virtual Fighter came out in 93, 94, but developers were really starting to really wrap their abilities around what you could do in 3D gaming, how to make 3D environments look more realistic or make them look better. And when you're building an engine up from the ground up, plus he was building the infrastructure for the for the networks at the same time, plus you have the directions change for what they were doing with the game multiple times for us is an action game or an action fighter, or an RPG. You're probably not going to have a lot of time to focus on just, you know, uh, making the game look a lot better, especially like you said, if you wanted this HP Lovecraftian kind of experience where everything is dark. So you get caught in development hell. You have to keep on streamlining things. You have to keep condensing things to get to somewhat of a focused product. And I can understand why you have very similar looking areas, very dull areas with most of that focus, because, again, he built the network and the engine, most of that network being on the multiplayer modes. Yeah, that's probably what what you're going to end up with. And I think what it sounds like is that Quake really established itself as a multiplayer game. I 
don't know anyone who will say, yeah, the single player modes where it's at, man. No, because it's not. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's that is a fair point. And, and actually, will it's even makes that point in that interview as well that you know par- part of why this felt like such a disjointed experience was because they were to 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 borrow a phrase that i like to use fairly often they were building the the plane while they were flying it quite quite literally that you know as you said they were creating a 3d game engine from scratch in a time where not many games were even in 3D yet, building out the net code to be able to support multiplayer, also building out all the assets for the game, just, yeah, trying to accomplish all of that and put out a a, a somewhat cohesive product was definitely a challenge. And so, like, I will totally give them that, but it it still bothers me, though, just because I... I just really wish that they would have leaned further into this sort of Lovecraftian angle that they had going because I really dig it. And I think the like extra dimensional ancient derelict castles and, you know, antediluvian Cthulhu creatures could have been a really fucking neat thing because it would have made Quake stand out even more from Doom than, you know, it does as it stands now. And so the things that, you know, were included, like that looked like a a military base or a space station, just like it just pulls me out of it because they make no sense, like thematically. And it just sucks because I I really wish that they would have had the time and the bandwidth to have the proper creative direction that I think could have really focused them on that one aspect of it and kind of cut out all this other kind of random shit that ended up there. So here's kind of my question to you, because you've probably yeah. played the PC version of this. Did Hexen do it better? Yes. <laughs> wow. Yes, actually. Yeah. In my opinion, yes, because that was a much more cohesive vision of what uh, of what they were trying to do. Hexen is a better quake in a lot of ways, even though it was a predecessor. I'm fairly certain. I didn't know it came before. I thought it came after. It might have been. I know the N64 version gets shit on all the time. That's my only knowledge of. Well, uh, ports to N64 for some of these things are right. They're super hit or miss anyway. We'll talk about Hexen some other time. I just I was curious because I'm hearing a lot of these themes here and without playing a lot of Hexen, it just seems like Hexen took a lot of the ideas they wanted to do in, in Quake and really streamlined it for the single player experience. Right. So technically I was, I was just looking this up real quick while we were, uh, while we were talking mm-hmm. quake was released in 1996. Yeah. Hexen was published in October 30th of 1995, which was a sequel to 1994's heretic, which technically heretic kind of already did this whole aesthetic better anyway so so yeah heretic and hexen came before quake and i think pulled off this like arcane magic other dimensional kind of shit better that's wild yeah (laughs) okay then well time to go to probably an interesting section here and that's the music and sound Mm. for this game which yes you know what? I was shocked when I found out who did the music for this. 
which is Trent Reznor's Nine Inch Nails. Nine Inch Nails, Trent Reznor? I don't know. You could probably interchange it. He is Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> I was really interested to see he did the music. I was wondering why the boxes of nails had NIN on it, and I, I <laughs> guess that makes sense. Music itself, though, I, I guess it's okay. I know that you're more of the ambiance kind of atmospheric music guy, but I th- just because it was so much like Doom, I think I would have been happier with it if it was more of that thrash metal kind of uh, presentation. I wasn't into the industrial music as much. I, under- I know a lot of people appreciate it because of the setting and it, it does match up with the setting. It pairs up with the setting very, very well, but I don't think it necessarily pairs up with the gameplay. Yeah, and I almost wonder if this was a victim of the course correction that the team made as far as how this game was going to turn out. Because I I don't know how early in the development cycle, you know, Reznor was included. So that that would be interesting to know. But yeah, I listen, to me, I I disagreed on this one with Chris in that I thought it was pr- pretty much perfect for this game because I mean, let's be real. Nine Inch Nails was like this in addition to Quake was like peak late 90s edge. Okay, and (laughs) I don't think that you can underestimate how much of like a get it was to have Nine Inch Nails do your soundtrack in 1996. And the direction that Trent went with the tracks for this game. Honestly, I appreciate because I think it helps to set Quake apart from Doom now, like Because Doom, you know, you're right. It's all about like that constant in your face metal to just like jam out to, which for the record, I 100% approve of. Like, don't get me wrong about that. But Reznor, with his approach of like a much more ambiance sort of thing, I think it complements the overall ominous atmosphere that Quake was trying to kind of build a lot better. And it does have its moments where it just goes like full techno industrial and you're like, ah, yes, this is Nine Inch Nails. But the majority of the tracks are far more subdued and in some cases like even kind of spooky. Like I made a point of turning down the in-game sound and cranking the music all the way up so that I could hear it better because it does tend to get drowned out by constant missile launches and shit. But you do get tracks that have like these creepy like spoken chants in the background and like these droning low level like distortions and stuff. And I don't know. I, I actually thought it was uh I thought it was pretty well done. And in a game that so closely resembles Doom in so many other ways, I feel like if they had just gone again with like a, this song is just close enough to Metallica to not be copyright infringement. (laughs) I think that would have been a step too far. They just should have called it Doom three, which I still stand by. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Uh Yeah. As far as the points about sound design go like outside of the music, you know, it's, it's good. Uh, I think the monsters all have very identifiable noises in some cases, even more so than doom. So if you do get one of their attention, uh, you can kind of tell who's about to try to fuck you up just by the sound cues alone, which I think is definitely a bonus. And this is interesting. So I I want, I want to talk about this for a second because Chris pointed this out and I wasn't even going to say anything about this until I saw his notes, but he pointed out that he didn't like the like sort of semi hollow, like tink tink noise that the grenades make when they bounce. What, why, why is that? Why, why do you not like that? I just didn't like it. 
I don't know what it is. So when it's you pick up the grenades for right, it says you're picking up rockets. Mm -hmm. I was like, these aren't rockets. These are grenades. Stop calling them rockets. Now, I think like it's it's good to hear the bounce all over the place. Yeah, sure. But if they're rockets, rockets shouldn't be making tink tink sounds coming out of your goddamn weapon. <laughs> well, I think that that's just like an oversimplification of what they had in the game, because like the the ammo pickup for quote unquote rockets is for both your grenade launcher and your actual rocket launcher. So it makes no sense. Yeah, it doesn't. You're right. It's fucking video game logic. I mean, it's the same as like some games where you pick up ammo and it's like this works in your pistol and your assault rifle. And you're like, what? But um, well, no, yeah, that can so make I, sense. OK, well, you know what I fucking mean? You're not going to use <laughs> the same bullets in a nine millimeter that you would in an AK. No, is my point. Well, it depends. OK, whatever. I'm not going to try to go toe to toe with <laughs> Mr. Military over here. But the point is, is, yes, it doesn't make any sense. But I, I, I actually that's one of the more identifiable sounds, frankly, from the game, just because of how fucking often those ogres try to blow your face off. And so for me, like that tink tink is very like very much part of the quake experience. So like in an odd sort of way, I I kind of have a weird affection for that sound effect. Um, just because I don't hear that in like any other game. So and it's fucking irritating, too, because, you know, as soon as you hear that tink tink, those motherfucking ogres are just they're going to be able to hit you at any angle, no matter where you go. Bro, they are so accurate with those grenade launchers. It is unfair. <laughs> and as soon as you get close to them, they just hit you with their chainsaw. Yes, definitely. Those bastards. Uh, which also, by the way, are talking so much about those ogres. That was one of the prime examples that John Willits pointed out as far as like having no direction because they were just like, yeah, the level designers and, and the creature designers kind of just fucking went bananas and did whatever they wanted. Because like, I mean, what the fuck is a creature with a chainsaw and a grenade launcher? That makes no sense. But they thought it was cool. So it's in the game. Yeah. Why yeah. are why are zombies in our inter interdimensional traveling team? Yep. Because zombies are cool and they wanted to put them in there. End of justification for better or worse. Like zombies weren't even popular back then. Nah, man, but they were edgy. Uh, sure. <laughs> I'm sure they were. They were interesting. They shouldn't have called them zombies. It's so dumb. Uh, I guess that takes us to some miscellaneous stuff, which Shane actually has. So here are just some fun facts and little tidbits that may have not fit into the remainder of the episode. So go ahead, Shane. What do you got? Yeah, there's there's honestly not a lot. Um, I'm sure there's some great behind the scenes stuff. Like if you read the Masters of Doom book or any of the other countless things that have been written about id software over the years, I'm sure there's some tidbits, but I didn't go digging those up. But the one thing that I did want to point out that I thought was just kind of interesting is there was a now somewhat infamous promotional screenshot for Quake that was put in a lot of gaming publications at the time that uh, very prominently displays a large red dragon in game flying over one of the castle areas in, in one of the levels. Um, this never made it into the game like at all. And it, it was brought up again in that interview with Willits that I watched. And he was just like, yeah, um, listen, man, this was back in a time where we just like thought of something neat and put it in a still image and like took a screenshot and then sent it out to like game journalists and was like, here you go. This that's neat, isn't it? That probably will be in our game. Who knows? 
And then they got around to finishing the game and they were like, uh, we never made a dragon. Whatever. And released the game anyway. <laughs> so I just thought that was interesting. So I wanted to throw that in there. I, for one, would have loved the dragon. I would have loved to see a dragon in there. I mean, it, it would have at least been way more thematic than a lot of the other enemies that ended up in there. Yeah. And just just randomly, when I pressed escape to like get out of the game, right? Hopefully I saved it. I probably didn't save it because I'm not even <laughs> I didn't even know how to save it. But uh, sure. I pressed escape and then it said, are you sure you want to go, Midlord? I'm like, Midlord, like when the fuck did we ever go into medieval Europe? Like what? Again, this goes back to me not reading the plot in the manual. I'm like, I right. am in this weird hellscape with people with chainsaws and rocket launchers and nail guns. And the the game just pulled a malord on me. <laughs> what? Just went it went full fedora neckbeard on you out of nowhere. It's like this is Dragon Quest. Like, no, this is this is we're we're killing things with big boom booms. This is <laughs> This does not match up. Like I was thinking to myself, if there's a plot, this game it's just, it's completely bonkers and stupid. And you were not wrong. And the thing is, is like, this is, this is actually a problem that's endemic in the entire quake franchise. And we're not here to talk about the whole thing today, of course, but it is worthy of note that this identity crisis that the first game has it, that is something that is spread throughout all of the quake games, uh, at least all of the mainline games with campaigns anyway, mm -hmm. because quake two is a completely fucking different game. It's like you're in space and you've got to go destroy this alien civilization's gun emplacements to prevent them from attacking us or something and has fucking nothing to do with the first quake at all. And then Quake 3 has a completely different story, which is somewhat more similar to 1. And then 4 goes back to, like, space alien, like, grunt military guys. And it, it's, it's so fucking disjointed. And the thing is, is, like, even the dev staff was just like, you know, in retrospect, we really, we were originally going to call Quake 2 something completely different and make it a different franchise. We probably should have done that. Uh, because yeah. then quake two and four would have been its own thing. And one and three would have been its own thing and shit probably would a lot of made, made a lot more sense. Um, but we didn't. So that's quake, I guess. And it's just like, it's disappointing to me because I feel like they could have developed this like Cthulhu aspect and this more, this, this, this thing that's more rooted in like magic and like, you know, ancient civilizations and other worlds and stuff. And they could have really done something with that, but it just got dropped. And that's kind of a bummer to me anyway. Yeah. And that's, that is a bummer too. Cause I don't think they've made a quake since quake four. Have they? Nope. Nope. And the only other thing they did was quake champions, which was like that free to play online multiplayer shooter. That's like the only other thing. And, and you could tell it tried really hard to make it its premier FPS. Because mm -hmm. Doom 3 didn't come out until 2003, 2004. Mm -hmm. So there was seven years where it was just Quake. Yep. And even Doom 3 wasn't even viewed highly. I think that's why you have Quake 4. Like Quake 4 is on the 360 is one of its earlier games, if I'm correct. 
Mm-hmm. So you could you could tell they even after Doom 3, they wanted Quake to be the preeminent first person shooter. Obviously, today, that's definitely not the case because Doom has had a massive revival and Quake has not. I, I want them to do the same thing with Quake. I want them to reboot Quake like they did with Doom 2016, but go 100 percent into the the aesthetic that they were trying to do in the original Quake, because I think that would actually turn out amazingly well. I, I wish that they would do that. I actually agree with you. I think I think it would. But I think that brings us to the end of the show when we discuss whether or not the game in general holds up today. And I will start on this one. OK, I am going to say that it I don't think it does. The original Quake does not. And I understand that there are mods. I understand that you need to mess with the game to even get the music in it, because even if you buy it from Steam, it doesn't work quite right. I think that's more of the sticking point with me is the original game does not hold up to people playing it today. It You just need to modify it too much in order to get the game to an acceptable state. That being said, no, it, it, it doesn't, because if you modify it, you're essentially playing a different game. You're not playing the same game anymore. It's just what someone is doing to make the original product bearable. So if you go out and you try to play the original Quake, I mean, if you have to hold down the mouse wheel to look up and down or whatever the hell you had to do back in 1996, like we don't know, then that that's a serious problem. The graphics are are a little too drab. And even when you go to the consoles and the ports there are are very well done, but it's still a very well done game of a first person shooter that was, you know, a, very much a genre that was trying to find itself within the 3D space up until essentially Goldeneye and or Halo. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to say, yeah, unless you ha- unless you're having a land party, that Quake is a game you should go out and play. And if you're having a land party, you know, there's better Quakes than Quake in order to enjoy yourself. So I would say, look, I can understand why people love it, but I wouldn't say it doesn't hold up today. All right. All fair points. Um, so for me, I would say yes, but with some very strong caveats. <laughs> now, this is of course coming from someone who likes Quake, um, who played it back in the day and got a lot of enjoyment out of it. Um, so I do have some personal attachment, of course. But here's the thing. Since most folks are going to obtain this through a digital distribution platform, whether that's Steam or good old games or what have you, you are probably going to miss out on a very key aspect, um, which is the soundtrack, as Chris kind of alluded to. So the game originally used on-disc audio, which wasn't an issue in 1996 because everybody was playing Quake from their CDs anyway. The issue now, though, is most of us don't even own a disc drive. So that can be a huge problem. And similarly, the graphics options are not exactly great for modern monitor resolutions, but to fix both of these things, you do need to install some kind of a mod. Um, There's one called Dark Places that's very popular. That's what I use. That's what I set Chris up with. And that provides modern resolution options uh, as well as just making mouse looking default, thank God. And it also re-enables the ability to actually play the soundtrack. Now, there's the extra step there in that you actually have to go and grab the files 
for each of the music tracks for the soundtrack and drop them into a folder in there in order for the game to be able to read them properly and play them on the levels that it's supposed to play them. So is it a little bit of work? Yes. I still think that that's actually worth it because I don't think that fixing the resolution and like the mouse looking issue and getting the music to work is it's not fundamentally changing the game into something different. It's just, this is a problem that you're going to run across with several older PC titles. And I don't necessarily think it's something that I would hold against them unless it's something that takes some sort of, you know, totally Herculean task to get to work, which in my opinion, putting in one really simple mod and dropping some MP3s in a file is not that huge of a deal, but I get it. If you don't want to fuck around with that stuff, I totally get it. So really just kind of go into it with the understanding that, Hey, this is one of the very first fully 3d FPS games. And we as gamers have come to expect a lot more in the way of varied gameplay, uh, actual plot, <laughs> uh, environmental details, things like that. But I personally, I still think that this provides uh, an enjoyable, fast paced shooter experience. Once you get over a couple of those, I think somewhat minor hurdles. All right. So I think that does it for today. And I, again, I think if I played this game in 96, if I had the right computer for it, I would, I would love it. I am right. I'm not right. disputing that. I just, yeah, I think it's, it's not that it's hard. Like you said, you just, but you have to know where to find these mods, you know, if they're not on the steam community page or not on the, I don't know if good old games or galaxy or whatever the hell they have. If they have a, a community page where they have mods, because you can find like how to get the music in the Steam community page. But other than that, it's right. You got to kind of be tapped in more than casually to to know where to find these things. And I don't think a lot of people are that in tune unless, of course, probably so, a lot of you probably listening. This probably are. But I would say most consumers, they're they're just not. They're going to pick it up. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> like, what is this shit? Yeah. And, and like I said, that that's a fair assessment. I mean, for for folks that were playing PC games back in the mid early 90s or whatever, this is not a big deal, right? Because we had to fuck around with command line shit and everything to get games to work sometimes anyway back then. So so that isn't necessarily a huge ask for someone like that. But nowadays, yeah, I totally get it. Like even PC games for the most part are kind of just plug and play. And if you're expected to fuck around with a config file or something to get it working, that's that, that for a lot of people, that is a bridge too far. So I understand it. Yeah. All right. That wraps up quake. And we got all the things we usually say at the end of this stuff. Yes. It's which is a lot shorter now. Thanks to Shane. So Shane, how about you let them know? all the shortness of it. Yeah, uh, of course. So all, all of the things that we generally like to plug uh, places that you can find us on the internet, um, ways that you can engage with us, like our public discord or, you know, jumping in on the Patreon or checking out the merch store or our Twitch streams, things like that. You can find everything in one very convenient spot. And that is on our link tree page. So you just got to go over to linktree slash retro hangover. That's L I N K T R dot E E slash retro hangover and uh, navigate your way over to whatever it is that you please. Awesome. 
also I'll say this, our our Twitch streams, which are uh, you can find through our link tree, do start at 9 p.m. Uh, Sunday Eastern time where we're going to be playing a game of some kind. It may be related to a recent episode. It may not be. I'm thinking because, you know, Shane's going to be out and about doing fun stuff for a good deal of time. And I'm going to be playing the Final Fantasy V for Job Fiesta. You'll probably be seeing a lot of that here in the near future if you aren't already by the time this episode comes out. And by the way, check out the Final Fantasy V for Job Fiesta, uh, which is at forjobfiesta.com because we have a lot of time for it and it's for a good cause. And Lyle loves the shit out of it and he will harass you until you comply and register. So check it out. <laughs> and uh, we hope to see you enjoying it along with us. And that's really all I got. All right. Well, with all of that being said, until next time, play with your why the fuck is there a zombie in interdimensional space joysticks? Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part, no added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in head first with full 12 ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.